Hello, listeners, to the Punk Theology Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode number 10, Anxiety. Talking about anxiety today, going to go into John, John's story. This is also one of those interesting mind-body paradigm shifts, right? Because anxiety is linked a lot to the body, and we identify with things like shortness of breath, you know? Um, high blood pressure, uh, thinning hair. <laughs> it's, my hair's thinning. I'm pulling my hair out. There's, there's these analogies, but this, this is a, a symptom or one of those, you know, kind of things that, that ping that connection between our mind and our body, isn't it? John and I are both bald guys, by the way, so there's that, right? Um, punks, right? Skinheads. Not racist, though. More of an English version of the skinhead. This is, a, this is a topic that affects a lot of freaking people. The last episode, we talked about fear, and it's like, you know, sex and fear, baby. We, we grow up, we're immersed in a culture of media, and uh, those are pretty primal things. So, today, my dear friend John shares his story. Theology.com. Connect with us there. Shackled in chain, my soul feels stained. I can't explain, gotta itch in my brain. Lately, my whole aim is to maintain and regain control of my mainframe. My blood's boiling, it's beating out propane. My train of thoughts more like a runaway train. I'm in a fast car, driving in the fast lane. In the rain, and I might just hide your plane. I don't fear none of my enemies. So you just booted the show. We booted the show up. It started successfully. All the things are on the desktop. We're three, seven eighths into a growler of. Fine We're just getting started, and the growler is almost empty. A very <laughs> dark porter <laughs> from Georgetown Brewing Company, Seattle, Washington. This is super fresh, too. I got it right there at the brewery today. Smell, it tastes I squeezed super it right out of fresh. George. Yeah. So somebody, don't they have to ferment it? Well, <laughs> yeah, fresh beer. Is yeah, <laughs> fresh beer. Well, most of the shit you buy in the store, like from Budweiser. So there's That's Budweiser true. and Miller, basically. Like, that shit's months old. That's true. That's <laughs> usually. Zombie beer. It's yeah. Water. Or if you look at, like, Heineken, which comes from Germany. I mean, some of it's brewed here. It's still brewed here. But, yeah, it's it's old. You get that skunky <laughs> beer taste. You ever guys ever... Yes. You get that, you can tell, yeah. like, it's been past the due date. One of the greatest uh, things in the beer world is when they started slapping a date on cans of beer. When did they do that? I don't know, but are you recording this? Yes, this is. Oh. So you have to have you have to have pre banter. Yeah, yeah, pre ramble. Yeah, foreplay. You got to verbal foreplay. Bring the bring the listener in. We have to talk about something really shitty so we can. We got to talk about something surfacey and shallow, just so people can. I just lung punched my cigar. That's a bad idea. Ooh, that oh, is a bad idea. You did what? I'd be sick of it. Oh, you got to lung punch it. Damn, dude. So the topic is. 
For those of you who don't smoke cigars, you're not supposed to inhale cigars. No, it hurts. It hurts. Bad. And you'll revisit it about four for me about four a.m. That's true. Oh Lord. Only rookies don't inhale. Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Mister Mr. Longburner over here. Leather lungs. Iron leather lungs. (laughs) (laughs) When they want to make it no smoking, yeah, they call Chuck and (laughs) put him in a fucking x ray. So, John's anxiety. I am John St. John. Yes, I am John's anxiety. John St. John. I am John's anxiety. There was a dude in Everett that owned a pawn shop called John St. John. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. That that was was on you. He's dead, by the way. No kidding. Anyway, sorry. So how would you describe John's anxiety? Uh, uh, In process. That was a bad uh, takeoff. Up and down. Are we just doing me here? No. Okay. No. It's all of us. You're gonna you're gonna tease it out of us. I'm kicking. You're you're kicking it off. Yes. You have your own brand of anxiety. So we're gonna start with that and then expand. I'm the token uh, anxious guy. Is that what it is? Yes. Am I? Yeah. Am I? Okay. And the token Mexican. (laughs) (laughs) No. That's why I'm anxious. (laughs) Um, Trump got elected and just heightened the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose that I was. You know, predisposed to it as a kid. Um, I was very much an awkward fat kid in elementary school. I wore glasses. Um, I don't think my parents related to me well because I grew up where, like, athleticism was really valued and so was. Uh, doing well in school. I just didn't give a shit about school and I wasn't ever really encouraged to um, you know, pursue sports because I, I just was kind of clumsy as a kid. And, you know, so I just was very much like an awkward fat kid. I was kind of weird. I was into music at a really young age. I, I had an older cousin, you know, got me into new wave music and heavy metal music at a really young age. Like I'm I mean I'm talking like second or third grade. Nice. Like I was really into Demo? Uh, more like Duran Duran. Um, Motley Crue. Oh, yeah. I love Motley Crue. And that was really <laughs> taboo. That was really taboo when you're oh, a kid, yeah. you know, oh, it's yeah. like, oh, Motley. Ten seconds to love. I just was remembering what this. Does that mean? Like, um, I was in fourth grade. This isn't like, like related to, to metal or anything like good. I was in fourth grade and, uh, and a classmate burned me, or burned, what am I saying? Uh, copied me. A, a mixtape of two shorts, Freaky Tales. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is yeah, like the short. most explicit, X-rated, pornographic yeah. rap. And you know, like you're a little kid, it's just funny to hear like a you know this rapper guy cuss and <coughs> talk about sex. But uh, but I was a young kid, like exposed to some pretty crazy shit. Anyway, um, so my sister was the attractive athletic kid and I think that my parents related to her better than they did me. Is she older? No, she's younger by two and a half years. And so a lot of like, you know, a lot of elementary school was sort of like revolved around Alyssa's sports, you know, her soccer, her softball. And I would just, I I never had my own thing. I mean, I, I was like really into art and to music, but you know, you can't really, that's not a team sport or something. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, 
I, I suppose that I I had inherited some uh, <clears throat> some inadequacies from that, you know, like kind of just some unspoken things I probably just got by osmosis. Um, and when I was 11, my father, who was athletic and very fit, he was only like 36 years old, so he was young. Uh, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And for him, it was kind of like an occupational hazard. Uh, he, you know, like I said, he, he was healthy. He didn't drink, didn't smoke. He exercised. He ran. What did he do to get stomach cancer? He was a water treater for a chemical plant. Oh, shit. Yeah. He got paid well. Like, he's a blue-collar guy. But, yeah, yeah, occupational mm -hmm. hazard. Um, so, J.R. Simplot, they're big in the San Joaquin Valley area where I grew up. Uh, and so... You know, I don't know. Like, I have mixed feelings about my father. Like, I love my father, but he's also kind of an asshole. And kind of, like I said, didn't relate to me well. So, he gets cancer. And, by the way, my parents were having marital problems coinciding with that. And, it, you know, shortly before his diagnosis, they had even separated. They reconciled. And later, my mother would tell me, you know, she... Like, like, what kind of horrible wife would she be if she didn't take care of her husband, like, while he was dying kind of thing. So there's all sorts of things at play, some obligation. Um, anyway, so he, he only, he, he died within six months. Wow. Uh, he, he, he died, like, a week after my 12th birthday. And... That's it, aggressive fucking... Yeah, cancer. it spread to his, to his liver from his stomach. And one of the things I've been you know, kind of reflecting on or recalling just like trippy stuff that, you know, I mean, it was just my life. I didn't know anything different, but like I was often charged to kind of care for him. Uh, one of the things they, they say about like things that will induce depression or anxiety later in life is, you know, anything in your childhood that robbed you from your childhood that like, you know, made you grow up too fast or didn't allow a kid to be a kid. Well, uh, you know, cleaning the vomit out of your emaciated father's bedpan is pretty heavy shit yeah, for a little kid. Um, but I had a lot of anger toward him. And when he was dead, it was kind of like, you know, mixed feelings. But a lot of me was like, well, good fucking riddance, you know. But I did love him. It's, again, it's just complicated. It wasn't like, oh, daddy, I miss you. I love you. Or, oh, daddy, you're such an asshole. It's really something in the middle because that's what real life is. Well, you know, I ended up uh, puberty was very good to me. I I lost weight. I shot up a few inches. I uh, uh, you got know, laid. Uh, not till later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, I didn't get laid at twelve or thirteen, but yeah, be, uh, I certainly took an interest in it. <laughs> yeah, yes, it would. Um, but but I I, I I kind of found my my way. I, I got into into music. I was really involved in my youth group. That was a place for me to find like some belonging and some safety creative were you able to yeah, exercise creative muscles and very much that's so. one of the good things about church and youth group is you get to do shit like that uh, and I, get to do something I was just into you know hanging out with so my friends hanging out with my friends playing guitar yeah. um, so the anxiety thing uh, I, I can see traces of it like here and there I can see some of those inadequacies or those insecurities here and there, but it, it didn't really, really hit me. Um, like, there were some tough things in, in college that, that were kind of 
tricky. Like, uh, I, I, I took, a, I took a, a whole year of foreign language credit during a summer, during uh, like an eight-week quarter. A whole year of Spanish in eight weeks. I was going to throw myself out of a window. You know, so like, 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 you know, situational anxieties would present themselves. But it, it didn't really broadside me until um, I was in my early, like, like 31. And the circumstances around that time were uh, I had an acute respiratory infection that wasn't getting better. I had this respiratory infection for like six months. We had bought in a home fairly recently. My wife just had our, our second child, my, my first son. Um, I, uh, there were some problems at the church that I was attending. The church and I, Arthur, the church Arthur and I used to attend together, uh, where I found a lot of belonging and sort of uh, structure, you know, like, like kind of really trusting uh, the people that were in authority over me, to use kind of that language. Um, uh, I was in it, man. I was in that system. I, I, I derived some identity and some comfort from it. And uh, there were just some things happening there that were kind of agitating it. I, I got noticed that I was being audited by the state of Washington for my work. And I had just started making some real money, like, you know, that year. So all these circumstantial things, it was like a perfect storm for like a full-fledged panic attack. Which, if you never had a panic attack, it's a life-changing fucking thing. It's like, you know, you, oh, yeah, I had a panic attack, or you have an anxious... No. You have a panic attack, you literally think you're dying. Like, it's oh, yes. the craziest... It's like a heart attack? Oh, it's, yeah. I, I wondered. It was like, yes. uh, you know... The breath is short, and it's just... It's, chest you don't know what's going on, because, right. because in, especially if you're coming from a fairly uh, conservative... Uh, Christian worldview uh, at the time for me was Calvinism, but it was very much like suspect of mental health issues. Like, oh, it's all in your head. You just need to repent or trust God or it's yeah, such yeah, a yeah. sin thing or something. Uh, it, it really blew me away. Can how make some oil? Or <laughs> yes. Although I don't know if they did that. Calvinists don't. <laughs> That's don't why it's yeah, yeah, there's no oil. Yeah. Uh, what really just took me was how physical it was. It was so physical. Oh, it was yeah. so in my body. Yeah. It was like, it's not all in my head. It's like in my body. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was like probably the biggest adult onset of it. And um, it happened when I was driving for work, uh, going to a meeting. And for, for years thereafter, actually up until relatively recently, um, driving was always something I, I could do, but never really enjoyed it Or, or uh, after that panic attack. There's always kind of like a cloud over driving for me. It was never something like I enjoyed after. It was always like an ends to a means. And, you know, I, I don't know. It, it kind of impacted just something as simple as driving somewhere, or, or especially like anywhere of, of any um, considerable distance. Um, <clears throat> so I, I saw a therapist a few times. He was helpful. I went on some antidepressants at that time. Those were really helpful. Like I, I was, well, the first thing I tried wasn't, but the second one was really good. Um, kind of like, uh, like, like made, uh, made some sexual stuff difficult. Um, not in the way you would think, yeah. kind of more in like the, like, you know, oh, are you done yet <laughs> kind of way, you know, what like, was it? <laughs> uh, 
I've actually heard porn stars use antidepressants to delay ejaculation. It's effective. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah, I've heard that, yeah. Um, what, what's that? What was the FYI? <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, <laughs> a tip for those who struggle with uh, premature ejaculation. Premature ejaculation. I was yeah. thank you. Uh, uh, Selexa? G generic Selexa, yeah, it, it was really good. It, like, I couldn't believe like like how much better I felt. Um, that pooped out. I, I went on something else that wasn't as good, but it still helped. And the uh, dick problems kind of went away with that. Um, yeah, I just you know. Was it the fear of what might happen? What's that? The well, so what? What the, the way I had thought of it at the time. And again, it's like a perfect storm of, of circumstances. I mean, they, they say like whenever someone has a panic attack, there's at least six months of backfill of like just yeah, subconscious like yeah. ah bottling up, and yeah, emulation. And, 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 and so I, I kind of like equate it as like uh, the place where I find like a lot of trust and identity and comfort was no longer there for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't trust it anymore. It was kind of like a minor crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. I've later gone and have like a more major one, but it was kind of like a minor <laughs> crisis of faith. Um, you were at Mars Hill at that time. I remember that. We were doing Mars, the community right after. Right after that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Mars Hill saved your life. No. <laughs> no. I mean, it, it is what it is, but... Well, I remember the community groups, you would talk about it, which was cool. And you would share about that experience and, and how... I'd share about anxieties? or Well, no, the, the thing with the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've always tried to be pretty honest about it. Like, like I, I felt like I, I had to be. But the way I thought of it in my mind, or, or the way I, I processed it, was like... You have this perfect storm of like your your faith uh, your, or your church home, which is tied to your faith construct, is is kind of being threatened, and that's that's very destabilizing. But I also saw it as like I'm in my early 30s. I'm approaching the same age my father was when he died, and I have young kids and responsibilities, and I have this upper respiratory infection. I was like on all, all these inhalers that weren't helping. No, seriously, like I've got one out of my car. If you want to use it? I know. I, I don't. I don't have it anymore. But. <laughs> But it took like six months for this respiratory infection to get out. So I wasn't breathing well anyway. Yeah. It just was like the perfect storm. Like I'm having health problems. My church is, uh, you know, uh, and, and, um, uh, I, 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 I this these... guy with a vein bobby out of the Yeah, right. And, uh... um, but that's one thing, not to interrupt, but I'm interrupting. It's okay. Everybody. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I encountered John. As really vulnerable at that time, which oh, was yeah. really good for me, because I started to like I'm easing into this community group thing and started treating it like a recovery group. <laughs> so I'm just blah, like I'm just me, like I don't give a shit. We're studying the Bible. How does that relevant to real life? You know, sort of my attitude. And here you were being vulnerable about your shit, mm -hmm. and, and, it, and I found that really refreshing. Oh, thanks, way. man. Where are you at today with it, with the anxiety? Well, so. It, it waxed and waned for years, you know, like like it really did. Like there'd be good seasons, bad seasons. I feel like it was, you know, kind of resolved. I'd still struggle with it. It was pretty much situational for 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 a lot of years. Um, I I went off antidepressants, and um, that second one I was on, I, I can't tell if it was like 
my third kid being born, or if it was uh, the, the antidepressant, but I gained some weight on that one. It's probably the antidepressant. I don't know, man. You can gain Here some weight when your wife's pregnant. <laughs> yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> combination. Uh, it could be a combination, yeah, not one or the other. But um, so I, I felt better for a while, like not being on anything. Um, and the, I guess the Cliff Notes version is is uh, it resurfaced after. A more major crisis of faith that was destabilizing, <clears throat> and just some changes with what that looked like for me. Um, and I had some, I had some kind of challenging things with uh, with some interpersonal relationships, some changes in some friendships and some dynamics. I just found like that to be really stabilizing. Like like I'm a I'm a highly relational person and just I, I always found footing with relationships, friendships and in community and in my faith construct. Like that was always really grounding for me. To to see like my faith shift. Because those things are tangible, right? Like you can touch them and feel them, and, and they they were rather than your <laughs> they were <laughs> so rather than your faith construct, you saw did you see those as things that you know really affected your emotional health as rather than the 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 kind of religion thing which is sort of nutsy boltsy. Mm, it wasn't. It, it started to become less nutsy boltsy and more mysterious, mm. which I think is healthier and yeah. truer, oh, big time. but also more destabilizing if you're kind of oh, used yeah. to like, standing on concrete ground. Then we're talking about anxiety, you know. Um, so I, but I, that's an illusion. The nuts and bolts are an illusion, right? I, I would say so. Although I think that that illusion can really serve people for a time, mm-hmm. and it really works for a time. Absolutely. And. Um, there's some interpersonal relational things that, that, that happen that I, I, I can't really go into too much, but suffice it to say, like, I felt destabilized again. Uh, this would have been around 2000, well, it, it was probably around, started around 2013, 2014, and really kind of uh, came to a head around 2015, um, where I just had a complete sort of shift and a lot of friendships changed and uh, I had experienced what's called anhedonia for the first time and that really really freaked me out what is that? I'm going to pack that up it's like uh, your ability to experience pleasures diminished Mm. so you know I mean Russ and Derek have been friends it's a symptom of depression and anxiety, but yeah, anxiety. and those are like two sides of one coin. So I had depression as well as anxiety. Anxiety more pronounced, but but um, I never experienced that before. It kind of freaked me out. So you um, didn't have pleasure in things that you normally yeah. Would, so like so that. I mean, I, I was always kind of the guy that like um, you know enjoyed drink and cigars and sex and and to see like those things be less interesting to me really freaked me out. Like, it really, really freaked me out. Um, Isn't part of that maturity, too, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's just your advertisement. No, it, it's, it's... Yes, yes, but the, the, it, when you experience anhedonia, you, you... Yeah, I know. You, I have, you, yes. You, I, yeah, I that's why I ask if it's not know, the fear of what might happen. 
It could be. Because I, that's my... It's a fear of uncertainty. Yes. It's, it's, um, it's coming to terms with like your inadequacies, I, I yeah. think. It's like... Because yeah. because what co what's coinciding with that is also just general midlife shit, too. Yes. Like, you yes. know... Um, uh, that song by Chris Cornell haunts me, where he talks about the lyrics are, uh, when walking in Japan didn't remind me of anything. Heard a guy speaking in tongues didn't remind me of anything. I think he was going into some of that Antidonia in that song. Oh. I don't remember what that song's called. Do you guys familiar? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's a it was, weird feeling, man. Like, yeah. if you guys experience it, it it's yeah. like, um, yeah. like, like, yeah, I, I, I like, uh, I like, eating a T-bone steak. I've always liked T-bone steak, but I'm looking at this T-bone steak and yeah. it's like, eh, I can take it or leave it. Well, and I, think, like, and I think the disaster of it is, so to speak, is that you feel like you're the only one that's feeling that way. And that there's something defective about you. Yeah. And that, what is so wrong with me that I have had interest in this forever and now I don't. Yeah. Now all I'd love to do is just sleep. And yeah. Every morning I wake up and I think, God damn it, I'm awake again. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and that's that fear for me anyway. That's that fear of what might happen. Yeah, I think it's it's you're extrapolating the trend, right? Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm enjoying things less and less. And what if this really continues for what a if long it doesn't time? End? Yeah. What yes. if there's? What if I can't yes. enjoy anything? What if this is the rest of my life? Right. That's yes, that yes. right yeah. there. Yeah. What if this Boom. is the rest of my life right yes. there? Exactly. Looking at the the curve of the trend. Yeah. And what if this? What if the bottom is really far down? Yeah. Fuck, you guys what? are making me sad. Never thought about what the it. Fuck what are you down sixty. Hey, we lie on the plane in a really positive place. So stick with us. Yeah. So, Hang uh, on. Stick with us. So <laughs> I, three of us had killed a growler. I hope we do. I I I had like embraced um I had embraced like Eastern Christianity and had kind of found some refuge and peace there for a time. But basically, like, like, kind of this second wave, kind of bore out of a crisis of faith and some destabilization from some interpersonal relationships. Uh, and then finding myself in, like, this anxious, depressed state. Um, it, it was different, like, the way the wave hit me this that most recent time. And it led me to just basically exploring things, like asking some serious questions. Yes. Um, you know, I started reading a lot more. I started reading outside, like, you know, different streams and, uh, you know, started, you know, reading about psychology, meditation, Buddhism, you know, basically like, you know, what, what are some answers out there? It started maybe, you know, also experimenting, uh, trying to find some answers. And it led me to a, a really um, serious and fairly well, very regular meditation practice. And when I first started meditating, it was the greatest thing like I ever found in my life. Like I can't even describe to you how powerful it was. Um, and so for about six to eight months, just meditating regularly was phenomenal. It, I mean, I heard one neuroscientist who's a meditator say it like, meditation offers you all the benefits of religion without all the bullshit. Well, <laughs> you know, mindfulness meditation, it's all the buzz right now. It's really trendy or whatever. What a lot of uh, proponents of meditating won't tell you, un to, unfortunately, 
is there's a dark side to it because you're gonna get in there, you're gonna unearth some shit, you're gonna just get like deep. religion. Yeah, <laughs> just like religion. That was wrong. This is wrong. But it, it's really started to um, you get addicted to anything. Yeah, it started to stir up what I can only describe as um, profound, deep, dark grief. Like, I'd never experienced, like, just, it was like a flood of grief. And, you know, I, I was, like, crying a lot. I, I felt like this pit in my chest. It it was fucking awful. And so that led me to, okay, dude, you got to do something. Um, and so I it, it led me to embark on, on therapy. And it's kind of just been like a slow dig out of that hole. Mm-hmm. And I'm still working through it. That's been about a year, or just under a year, and that's been great. Like I'm, you know, leaps and bounds, a lot better. Uh, you know, we. I, I don't know if we. It's been a more private conversations, or I don't know if we've ever recorded it. But I've used this analogy of like, like, uh, like a fat guy losing weight. Like say, like you're 400 pounds, or maybe you also go like grow sick. Like you need a crane to get out of the house. You're 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 800 pounds. And you have like the, the band, the lap band surgery or whatever it's called, and you lose like 500 pounds, but you're still 300 pounds, like you're still fucking fat, you know, but you're not 800 pounds. So like, you know, relative to where you were, you're not as bad, but you're still fat because you're 300 pounds. So, uh, so I, I always joke like, you know, I, I don't shop in the fat guy section anymore, but I buy like a 2XL. So, so like, I'm still, like, there's still... Big and large. Yeah. <laughs> big and tall. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working through some stuff, but I'm not, like, you know, I don't need a crane to get out of my house anymore kind of thing. Nice. So, so leaps and bounds therapy's been, been amazing. Um, I, I didn't go back on antidepressants. I, I probably should have, and sometimes I actually still think about it. Like, I, I think it might benefit me. I wonder if this second round after that kind of onset of grief hit me um, was uh, like if, I don't know, like the cortisol and adrenaline just pumping through my veins all those months. Like it's almost like my nervous system has had difficulty relaxing. That's been really kind of something I've struggled with. Um, So I'm actually still struggling with that some. It's improved dramatically, but I... Yeah, it's just a process. I'm just working through it. It's been leaps and bounds better. Um, but that's a Cliff Notes version on sure. John's well, anxiety. Question, um, yeah. do, you, do you feel like maybe the, the meditation got you to a place... Did I just hog all the beer? No, it, back? you I brought the beer. Right. Yeah. Right. I just poured it all for no, myself. That's no, that's not what I was I'm like a level seven narcissist. It's making me anxious. Don't shoot yourself right this now. This is going to be like... It's making me anxious. Just the three guys. I just grilled... Well, the growler. Yeah. Well, we can do a communion. I can. I can. I can split this up. No. if you guys want. That's why. I put my like I, what were you gonna ask? Come on. <laughs> he triggers anxiety, dude. So my question. Um, I love this. <laughs> no, no. Seriously though, my question. Squirrel. <laughs> stop. Um, when you get to that place, and I and I feel you, like you get to the place where you can slow your body down and you can slow your mind down. And, and, and I think that a lot of the neuroscience, because I study, I've been studying this shit for, for years, and, and the body work part of it is really interesting because 
what you're explaining is is some of the stuff where you're slowing your mind down enough where your body's catching up. Mm-hmm. And then all this trauma that's in your body kind of floods mm-hmm. into the to your mind while you've slowed. You, because that's the thing, like Sam Harris talks about calming that thing that jerks mm-hmm. that that voice that keeps jerking you around in your head every day, mm-hmm. not being uh, owned by that or not being controlled by that. Mm-hmm. So then you got to the place where you're in your body, mm-hmm. and then that grief, mm-hmm. the grief was unprocessed in your, grief. Yeah. yeah, it's like in your bones. Right. I saw my grandmother a lot. Like I. Had a lot of kind of conversations with my dead grandmother and stuff. Yeah, it, it, uh, grief and, and death have played a part in my life, um, various angles. Like, you know, I lost my father when I was young. I was a pallbearer at one of my best friend's funerals in my early twenties. Oh. Like, um, uh, I had an adopted little sister die when she was like three. Um, I had another friend die, like when she was. 19 like I had you know lunch with her the day before and she just like dies in her sleep like just like death and grief have just played kind of a part in my story that shit's dark well it's just death I mean I don't know yeah. if it's dark it's just death I mean death happens you know, I've had that similar reaction you know it's just death yeah and there's some fucked up shit and all that though well yeah. but but I my pushback though what where I, I, I and I think I'm hearing you but but it's like <clears throat> Is that kind of like a like a Western thing where like we're kind of removed from death and it's not part of everyday life? You know, you you, you, you go to the store, you buy some ground beef. It's not like you go to the Mexican meat market and there's like you know a fucking cow hanging upside down from a hook. You know, everything's kind of removed. It's sort of oh totally, and I think that's where the fucked upness is. So oh. it's because we're removed from it so much. When, when it, it personally hits, hits you, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it hits you really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's probably like just like it just hit me like dot 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 yeah. like just different places in my life, and I would tell you that I think I have processed my grief. Apparently, I, I haven't, um, but I think it's just coming to terms with like grief, loss, faith transitions, relationship transitions, and and uh, yeah, just how grief hits that in like an unprocessed way where you just see your mortal and finite. Oh, and a lot of people are counting on you too. And when you feel destabilized, it's, yeah, it's anxiety inducing for sure. Chuck, you've been talking about that a lot recently too, just how one real life gets in the way of you dealing with your shit. Yeah. Yeah. Life. Yeah. I mean, I have two kids that, I have I'm sole responsibility for them every other week. I can't be sick. I can't have a you know take work off just because I want to. Right. I mean, they had field day today, and the school needed like 150 volunteers, which is I still think is absurd. It's like one for every kid. So basically, come and parent your kids at school. But it's I want to go. I can't go. I have two, three projects that have to be out tomorrow. Yeah, I can't go to that shit. Yeah, and it's anxiety for me is interesting because it's new. Um, I'm sure I've had it most of my life, and I've never really noticed any of it. The depression and, was too strong. Yeah, <laughs> that's me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Covered that. Shit. I mean, it's, and we've talked about this as far as when I bought my car. I'm sitting in the car dealership, and it's just hitting me like I haven't had a car payment in five years, 
and now I'm going to have a car payment. Yet another thing that I have to mm-hmm. be, that I have to be responsible for. It's like, uh. oh fuck me, like, and just my heart's racing, fucking sweating, talking a million fucking words a second. I mean, just crazy. As a car rolls through the alley, yeah. on his way to. Pages. I kind of <laughs> dramatic sound effects. I I kind of just uh, is, I kind of just did like a overview and kind of glossed over like some of the faith stuff. I mean, I did touch on it, but there is something like really destabilizing when you go through a paradigm shift or you find a lot of comfort and security about you know what you believe about God and how God works and functions and you think you have some answers and then when those change and and the paradigm you have doesn't work for you anymore uh, that's really really anxiety inducing and, de- and destabilizing for a lot of people so I, I definitely had experienced that that was a big part of I think a lot of it and it was freeing for me <laughs> for a little bit I think you go, no, but it, it is it is but you go you go through all the stages of grief though really you, you know I, I mean yeah Mars Hill for some reason Mars Hill even I'm though I'm talking about Mars Hill but, for, Mars but Hill. kind of it no that was a, that was an anxiety inducing thing for me because it was even though I didn't agree with Calvinism and shit. I thought all these people were doing the right thing and had something figured out where they could just be a family together, and that didn't fucking work. That was my first. That was that first church I was talking about. Was kind of more like that's where that hit me. Was like so when Mars Hill happened, it's like a it's like a broken family, right? That's what it feels like. That's what it felt like for me. Yeah, I, I, I guess I wasn't thinking of it from a church construct as much as it's like just the way I believed and operated. I mean, church plays a part in that for sure, but that can be really destabilizing when your paradigm shifts. It can be yeah, really, absolutely. really destabilizing. Everything you knew or thought or believed about God and the world and yourself, and it's just doesn't ring true for you, that's really no, destabilizing because that gives you peace and comfort. And so, What were you going to say, Chuck? I'm sorry, Steve. I just no. cut off Steve. Good. But I cut off Chuck first. So so, so stop cutting off. <laughs> What's up, Steve? So how would you define, then, anxiety? Is there, is there a definition? That's great. I think the one that I tend to go with is... So I have been pulling back more and more into the fundamental human problem is that you can imagine things being better than they are. And when I'm anxious... Mm-hmm. It's because I'm really fixated on something big in my life that's happening like that. Like, I, like I'm just really, really bothered by the fact that I feel like things should be better than this. Yeah. Like, and, and that there's a solution right, right in front of me that I could just almost reach, but I can't get there. And so I'm just churning in my mind and obsessing. And, and, and it's not always conscious like that. I think it gets... It's really unconscious and body felt in a lot of ways. And I wouldn't in the moment be able to tell you why I'm feeling anxious. But when I start to get in there and unravel stuff, ultimately for me, it kind of comes back to that. Like something like, yeah, it's the shittiness of the world uh, has a lot to do with it. And there's a lot of other stuff, too. There's just hormonal shit. but, But I think for me... That tends to be a really common thread that runs through all my anxiety. I've been doing a lot of writing lately. I've talked about this uh, a couple of times. Uh, and I've been doing one recently on a uh, 
another dead child that I talked about previously, um, a version of myself that existed uh, a long time ago that that is kind of a ghost, but but also kind of just doesn't exist anymore. Um, that's five years old, <clears throat> and I I've always <clears throat> right now for a really long time defined myself as more of a depressive person. Uh, and pretty, and didn't define anxiety as a significant thing in my life. I had times when I was anxious, but it wasn't something that I felt like was chronic. Um, and I, you know, people generally comment that I seem pretty easygoing and nothing really bothers me and stuff kind of rolls off my back. But between the ages of about three and 13, I was incredibly anxious. And I hadn't remembered that mm-hmm. until I started writing this stuff out. And I had unbelievable nervous tics constantly like I would blink it's hard for me to talk about now without going back into it but like I would blink really fast all the time uh, I would chew on things I would lick my lips all the time I would pick my nose pull my <laughs> hair uh, couldn't hold still nervous legs like like full gambit uh, vocal stuff humming clearing my throat um, and then and a really bad one well bad one in that so, so the, the moment that came up with this dead child is I was sitting in this tree talking with my friends and they were sitting on the ground. Um, and I had picked up the habit of grabbing myself. And the, you know, mm-hmm. masturbating. Like Michael Jackson. Right, yeah, like Michael Jackson, exactly. <laughs> um, and I just developed that naturally and I found it was incredibly soothing and comforting. And, uh, and these kids, uh, this one kid in particular, uh, you know, said, why do you do that? And I was kind of excited in the moment because it was, because I was, I was ready to like, oh, like you want to know and I'm going to share like a secret of life. <laughs> yeah, I was like, right. that was fine, right? Like I didn't know. Uh, and, and I said, because it feels good, which seemed like a really like legitimate, like, <laughs> yeah, like, like why wouldn't you do this? It feels good. And it, and it helps. Uh, and they were just brutal about it, like, oh, yeah. like oh, just yeah. tore me apart. And he still, like, I was friends with him all the way up until I was about twelve, and he would bring it up constantly. Who just to touch yourself? Yeah, and, and he'd bring up that story. I mean, you said it felt like it because it feels good. Um, Shame. And all of my like, so between the ages of like three and thirteen, and I was so desperate for friends, so desperate, and constantly this nervous tick stuff was getting in the way and really affecting my ability to make friends and it was just a brutal choice of do I soothe myself or do I have friends Mm. and I was constantly tore between those two things and it really just kind of ripped me in half as a kid and it was constant it was just always in my head and it made it worse right so then then the nervous tics would get way worse because I was focusing on trying to stop um, recipe for anxiety yeah yeah and then and I think my body eventually just took over when I was 13 and threw me into a huge depressive state to counteract all sure. of that bullshit because I just couldn't sure. deal with it anymore but but as a kid I was just incredibly anxious all the time uh, and yeah, yeah and I'm still kind of digging into that I'm just in the early phases of actually digging into that childhood stuff. And How about out. now you feel like you're way more comfortable in your own skin? Yeah, I don't... Again, it comes back to the dead child analogy because I don't feel like I have almost anything in common with that kid anymore, right. except the fact that I have these memories 
of what it was like. So the dead child exercise is sort of trying to reconnect yourself with that innocent part of you. That right. Do you feel like part of the the place you're at now is is shitting on that kid or? No, and that's well. I mean, that's the point of the the exercise is to figure out how to accept him and love mm-hmm. him and, and integrate it, reincorporate. Right. Because um, you feel like part of yourself killed him. Right. Yeah. Well, like, and just we'll, time killed him. Like. Like yeah, yeah. things happen, you move on, and yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, it's been twenty years, and you have almost nothing in common with them. But you still have these memories, yeah. and then from a body level, subconscious level, that kid's still in there screaming, crying, yeah. kind of trapped I, in the corner. Like you can't get rid of them. So, well, one thing that I resonate with with the kid thing, and why I talk about the awkward fat kid thing, and mm-hmm. some of those similar feelings for albeit different reasons, is where a lot of my anxiety will manifest itself in adulthood is is in like um, shooting on myself perf- what what they call perfectionism or all or nothing yep. thinking yep. and so I, I drive myself really hard not like perfectionist like literally everything needs to be perfect just I have a certain kind of idea in my head if it doesn't meet that then I'm a failure or it's not good enough well anxious people do that and uh, it's a cognitive distortion it's talked a lot about in the CBT model of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy model. But, but what that is rooted in is just a deep, deep, deep sense of inadequacy yep. that usually starts in childhood. Yeah. And so if you feel deeply inadequate, I mean, you could be a full-on, full-blown narcissist with anxiety as an adult to kind of combat that inadequacy. Yeah. It starts in childhood. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what I struggle with is driving myself hard because I have these ideas and I need to make X amount of money I need to and I need to do it in X amount of time so I have X amount of time to spend with my kids and my wife and I put pressure on myself I don't need to I don't need to my wife my life would be fine without it but it's self-imposed pressure that's anxiety inducing and it's rooted in a deep sense of inadequacy that stems right. from childhood so yeah. that's what that's the same would be with me the same, the same fear of of being inadequate. Or I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. So, for my default has always been, then do I try? Because yeah, right. if That's you don't try and fail, then you at least don't have to deal with that failure. Yeah, yeah, I feel that too. And I look at my life, that has been the chains that have kept me anchored to this big ball that's kept me from doing stuff I'd like to do, but the fear of what it would look like, or what would others think. It's also it's funny because there's three ways to deal with that anxiety. One is to try really hard mm-hmm. and go the perfectionist route. One is to not really try at all and just kind of languish. And then the third one is to purposely fuck stuff up. <laughs> right? Like, like I'm going to lean into the fact that I'm going to fuck up and, and really go hard and, uh, oh, you think you think this is fucked up? Wait wait till you see what I can do. But see, I think that exists at a, a different layer of consciousness because I think that that's very true what you just said. But it's also pain. Right. So if yeah, it's if, all mixed if, up together. Yeah, yeah. So if you're at it, you, if you're at a kind of a rational state of consciousness, you know that that's fucked up and it's going to ruin your life. This is where I I've spent a lot of time with addicts <laughs> in recovery groups, and it's almost like that their layer of consciousness has dipped down to where they're at that level, but they also know that oh fuck, my life is fucked and I'm in a lot of pain. I'm causing the pain by making it worse. I don't know how to stop, and it's and it's basically just being able to identify the fact that it's and it's not just a 
I'm you watch me fuck shit up. It's it's a it's a value statement. It's like something deep in their spirit or in their soul. And I'm speaking from my own story too was just devalued to the point where I believed it enough to and it's always at those times of stress or something enters your life that's fucked up and you don't control it. You don't you didn't predict it. It's just life happening and you go let me show you how fucked up I really am, or how I, I usually handle yeah, this. Yeah, but it's not conscious. Because I'm, yeah, because it's, it's a, not conscious. Because if it was conscious, you wouldn't fucking do it. It's a, like, this, we do it because we're like we think we think of ourselves as a piece of garbage. It's a, this is just what I do. Yeah. yeah. Oh like, fuck. This is just what I, I do. Trying to go, so much. Um, I sat in jail going, yeah. On the episode, the episode begins. <laughs> um, talking to Matt about the screwing up relationships. You know, it's. It can get bad. Okay, well, let me show you how bad it really can. You know, and just start subconsciously fucking with shit. Yeah. And that's where a lot of, as I just sit here and think about it, a lot of my anxiety stems from being helpless as a kid. Mm. And I've talked about this with Susan quite a bit. And as I continue to explore it, the, the sexual abuse, it happened. And I beat myself up about not stopping it but it all stems from when I was even younger then and my dad's just beating the shit out of me and my mom knows about it and it's fucking I tell the there's a social worker that came to the house and I remember my brother and I just fucking talking about it to the social worker right and like nothing happens right. and so it's I tried to stop it and I failed and so now it's like okay I'm just gonna lay on and it's Susan and I <clears throat> talked about this on Tuesday so basically, I'm laying on the ground in crowds. Mm. You know, stick your hand up maybe once in a while. Like, hey, I'm still here. Like, I'm a part of this crowd, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be seen. Mm. And if I stand up, it's fucking scary. Mm. Yeah. So how does that manifest today? I'm laying on the ground. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, what are what actions are does that? Manifest yourself in. Like how are you? How are you laying on the ground? Maybe at work? Like you function? Well, it's, yeah. So I function, sure. But it's there's. I guess the biggest one that comes to mind is the, when there's a conflict. I I get super anxious mm. because I'm afraid that another side of me is going to come out that's just full rage mm. right? and it's just going to like Bruce not, Banner. Not just cuss you out. <laughs> right. Fucking full rage. Just fucking annihilate you in every way possible. Uh-huh. Rage. And I, yeah, I just sit down and... David Burns is a medical doctor who's <coughs> a practicing psychologist and a, a professor at the Stanford Medical School. Um, but, like, but, but, but he does psychology even as a medical doctor. I know, it's kind of weird, but he's written several books. He's an interesting guy, but he says that one of the biggest causes of anxiety is our fear of who we really are. Like, <laughs> like, 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 like what you'll really do, how you'll really freak out and lose what it. You're capable what of. you're capable of. Yeah. yeah. So, that makes sense. And that's where I'm a theist, too, because I think the spirit down underneath the ego is who we really are. And when we forget that, I had coffee with a friend who... Um, was asking me some questions about, you know, penal substitutionary atonement. He's a pastor. He's a great guy, but some of this, that, some of that stuff triggers the fuck out of me because of what you just said. Like when I, when I, what? 
Nothing. Sorry. Keep Good going. Question. Keep going. Squirrel. <laughs> Squirrel. So when I uh, when I get to that place where I'm trying to figure everything out, yeah, that stirs up all sorts of anxiety. Why is that tricky though? Because I, I I can separate the two in my mind. I'm strictly speaking from like a behavioral science like primordial. Id, you know, you're right. you're a highly evolved primate. You know, I posted this meme where I sent you guys like like this thing. It was kind of funny, like like uh, I think it was like some atheist meme, but like you know, God created man, and the angels look at God and go, "Oh, you fucked up. That monkey has anxiety." You know, it's like I like like I think that that's just that's just where we are in our evolution. Like I, I don't I don't know. Like I think there's something beyond our evolution that. That is divine. I really believe that. I think so. And I think that, and, and the reason I believe that is because I kind of separate the two in my mind. I guess, yeah, a little bit. I believe it because I'm still alive. Like if the if the egocentric part of me was was able to destroy myself, there because a, we, we we have that that propensity or that 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 capacity for for love, but yeah. but you're also like, I mean. You know, you're a fucking caveman. Though. But if you've been told so many times that you're just a caveman and you're just a piece you're of both. shit, you're, you just start to believe that you're the, the id. A gene-driven primate and more, you know? Yeah. Um, Howard Stern, maybe we could land the plane on this. I watched this thing with Howard Stern and David Letterman, and he talked about the early days of, of him not being a hypocrite and doing his show. Howard Stern's a huge kind of idol of mine. Part of the reason I podcast is is Howard Stern. Like yeah, I've been podcasting. I love that guy, and just just his honesty. But he also said that he said that he was just mostly id. Like if he, if he was honest, it was just mostly id, and he damaged a lot of relationships because he said, "Oh, it's just words, buddy." You know, I was just saying words, and people would be like, "No, you fucking hurt me, dude. Like, how could I hurt you? I'm just." It's, and he would joke around. And, and Stern has that really interesting... Like, my wife had a lot of issues with him because of his views on women, and he would do all sorts of just dark shit with... Anyway. But he always had this... His, he would sink down into this level of, I really like people. I really love people. And I think that all of us have that weird divine spark. I can't explain it, but it's part of why I believe there's a God. If we're all just fucking highly evolved primates, man, I'm killing... Every day is like the fucking that movie, The Purge. Honestly. Mm. We take away... You want, you want anarchy? It's the fucking purge. Every goddamn fucking day. And then there's part of me that would be sign up for that shit. Because there's some people that need to bleed. But I also realize that the divine spark has something to do with why we're all here and sharing this experience and why it's not the purge. Evolution can explain it, but that might be another episode. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. Peace out. Anxiety, motherfuckers. I think the worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades. That's a huge bitch. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't you get-